We here at Yash Jesus believe that God doesn't make mistakes. Not with people and not with produce. Which is why we're so excited to be partnering with Imperfect Foods. Imperfect Foods is an online grocer that recovers ugly produce and surplus foods that would otherwise go to waste. And delivers fresh, customizable boxes to your door for up to 30% less than the grocery stores. We're talking farmer's market quality girls. Without the hassle of going out of your house, honey. Without the hassle. And now, Imperfect has expanded to include pantry staples like lentils, rice, olive oil, and bread, you name it, to help round out your shopping. <laughs> girls, I just got my weekly shipment of imperfect produce, and let me tell you. Ooh, spill it, girl, spill it. I got this ugly little watermelon that puts the pretty little peach in Call Me By Your Name to shame. <laughs> That's the tea! Trust me, you're going to want to get in on this. To get your first shipment of perfectly imperfect farm fresh produce, go to imperfectfoods.com and use the promo code YASJESUS. That's Y-A-S-S-J-E-S-U-S. Welcome to Yas Jesus. We aren't spiritual leaders. We aren't theologians. Or prophets. Or even really that sure of what we're doing. We're just two lost sinners who love the Lord and want to open up his grace to other people who are on this journey alongside us. This isn't a tutorial on how to be Christian, but rather an exploration on what that actually means. In a safe space. Thank you, and God bless. What's up, kings and queens, sinners and saints? Welcome back to Yas Jesus. I'm your host, Daniel Francesi, here with... Azariah Southworth. Yes, and we're welcoming you back. Today we have a great show for you, don't we, Azariah? Oh my god, we have one of my good friends with me, Brian G. Murphy. Ooh, that sounds exciting. He founded QueerTheology.com. Ooh, QueerTheology.com? Yes. Well, we'll hear more from him in a moment, but first we're going to open up with some praise reports and prayer requests. What are you grateful for, Azariah? One of my sisters got a full-time job. I know that's like simple, but you know... It's it's one of those things that is necessary. She's a single mom, two kids. Like I think that's incredible. I, yeah. For me, the best way to get something that you want is to be grateful for what you have. Amen. And I think that it's really awesome to just show the attitude of gratitude and find a place that you could be thankful for things. And as for prayer requests, our friend Ross Murray, mm-hmm. who is an ordained minister. Yes, she is. And founded the Naming Project. One of the founders of the Naming yeah. Project. Tell us about the Naming Project. The Naming Project is a LGBTQ faith affirming camp and you can donate to it to keep it going it's it's up in minnesota they do it every summer but for kids who come from non-affirming faith backgrounds they can go to this summer camp and explore their faith with other lgbtq kids and it's just such an amazing thing i would have loved that growing up and now we're going to move on to our fabulous guest who i'm dying to meet you know this guy but i don't yet hello brian welcome hi thanks for having me here well we're so excited yeah brian g murphy is one of my friends we've known each other what for like 11 plus years 11 years now yeah he was back (laughs) he was on the soul force equality ride in 2007 and i was on the soul force equality ride in 2008 what's the soul force equality ride do you want to explain it? Yeah, so um, it was this mobile social justice project that went to colleges and universities that discriminate against queer people, mostly Christian colleges, to start and sustain conversations around the intersections of faith, sexuality, gender, and justice. And so at some places they were like, sure, come on, we'll have a conversation, we'll do Bible study, we'll talk about this. And some schools said, here's the property line, if you cross it, you'll be arrested. And so we said, wow. this is too important of a conversation not to have, so we're coming anyways. And so some civil disobedience happened 
happened along the way as well. Yeah. Um, in the aftermath, a lot of QSEs were started at those schools, and a number of the schools have changed their policies in the years and now <laughs> decades since. That's yeah. it's still out there. There's yeah. still schools that don't welcome that a stuff. A lot. Yeah. I do know as a comedian, sometimes I have schools bring me in as a Trojan horse to just make the LGBTQ students feel welcome. Mm-hmm. So I added this part to my show where I just say, a round of applause if you're LGBTQ. And then the kids clap, and I'm always like, well, that's, you know, so far. <laughs> I was straight in college, girl, and hello, you know, like just to make them all feel comfortable. And I, I, you wouldn't believe how many people respond after that and just say that's the one time besides pride, maybe that they got to clap for themselves yeah. or feel like a sense of just being able to be like, I'm here too, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's wonderful. I had one girl even say, I just came out. She's like, I've, I've never told anyone before out loud, but it felt like I could applaud, you ah, know, to have those moment. moments. It's yeah. so important. So Good, good on you guys for doing that. Yeah. Um, so that's where you guys met. That's where that's, we met. Yep. That's mm-hmm. how we met. So tell us more. So so I grew up evangelical Christian and really wanted to get my friends saved for Jesus so they could go to heaven. And at some point, like around 11th grade, there was like a new kid in our school and I just like wanted to be his friend. Mm-hmm. And at some point... I figured out that I had like a crush on him. And that was when it all shifted for me because before that I'd been like, oh, homosexuality, the, someone told me, right, that like homosexuality was a sin. But in my mind it was like, well, if I'm like looking at gay porn, like that's being gay. Or if I'm looking at like the underwear models, that's being gay. But then when I first started to fall in love with my friend, I realized that being gay was just like a part of me and a good part of me and not this thing that I could turn on or off. And so oh, you had that clear of a, of a realization. Yeah. I remember like, I remember going into the Bible and looking at the, I actually brought the Bible with me that I <laughs> had in middle school, but I'm like oh. looking up homosexuality. Is it tattered? It better be tattered. Yeah. And, <laughs> okay. and seeing like, so I like flipped to the first thing and, and it was like a little study guide that was like, here's why being gay is wrong. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem right. Like, let me look at the other pages. Like there must be another different perspective in here. And I went through all of them and I was like, huh, all of those said that it was wrong. That just like doesn't make sense to me. There like must be more to the story that I'm not understanding and I'm going to figure it out. And so that led to more exploration, even as a closeted high school student trying to figure out what was going on. And it wasn't until college that I began to sort of formulate the words. I thought about going to a Christian college, but just had this idea that like at some point I'm going to want to kiss boys. I looked at, I looked at a couple too myself. I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to want to kiss boys in the next four years. And it's going to be not a good place to be. The only reason I didn't go to Christian college is I couldn't find one with a musical theater program. (laughs) (laughs) Not gay at all. (laughs) So Brian, what kind of resources did you find during that time as you were seeking out affirming resources? Were there much? There were some and they got me, I guess... I didn't hate myself with what I found, but it was all very much like we're going to do this like really academic dissection of like the translation of Leviticus and this like Hebrew word or this Latin word and and Romans this and it doesn't mean that. Mm -hmm. And it just was very much about responding to these seven passages. And so then I would find some other website that was like responding to that. It's like, here's why like the pro-gay argument is like not right. And then it was like, here's why the anti-gay argument about the pro-gay argument. And it just felt like this hamster wheel that I could never really escape. It was always like more and more and more and more this very unsatisfying cycle. And it reminds me of this Christian thing that they used to tell us was that like people are rarely argued their way to Christ, but they have an experience with Christians or they experience the Holy Spirit or whatever. And that sort of moves their heart. And I think for me, similarly, I don't know many people that are like, well, I read this book and it laid out a very dry academic explanation of the translation of these Hebrew words. And now I suddenly love myself. It was going to college and going on the equality ride and meeting people who were living out their faith and their sexuality. And even like meeting 
you know, atheists as well, who were just sort of amazing people that I was able to see like, oh, this is what it looks like in practice. So it was through those experiences that you felt that, if you will, the move of the spirit that transformed you into like, I'm okay. I don't need these apologist arguments to inform me that I'm okay. Was those experiences? Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Or did you feel like you were evening it out a little bit? You know, if I throw myself into Christianity, then how bad could it be if I like, like a penis? <laughs> I actually, I actually walked away from Christianity for a while oh, and like right, yeah. had a lot of like drunken gay sex. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like ignored it totally. Like, like labeled yourself a non-believer. I didn't know what I believe, but I was just sort of like, I don't know. Like I'm going to stop going to church. I'm not going to be concerned with like whether a person's Christian or not or whatever. And it was it was like the community and like the embodiment of and at what age is queerness, this like? like eighteen to twenty one, right? Just sort of like saying, okay, mm-hmm. now I'm like, I need to figure this out before we move forward. Yeah, and it was it was the process, I think, of the equality right and of like putting my body on the line. Yeah. That was like, oh, this is this is Christianity. Like I, it reminded me of that passage. That's like when I was a child, I thought like a child, and now that I'm grown, I've put childish things aside. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh. This like version of Christianity that I was taught going up is like a like a Mel White has this quote like a like an elementary school understanding of Christianity, and that queer like in the queer gospel is like where I actually encountered a like real living meaningful sense of the divine for the first time. What do you mean by queer gospel? So like queer theology is a, a bit of an offshoot of liberation theology, and recognizing that like my queerness helps me understand Jesus like in a profound way, yeah. and that that's true for Black liberation theology. You know, saying that like Jesus is a black man, and um, James Cone writes right. about like the cross and the lynching tree, and seeing like oh yeah, Jesus was an actual person responding to the world around him and the like the oppressive forces, and saying like this is where God is and where God's priorities are, and the Hebrew and the Christian story has always been about like encountering God like here and now it's not this like thing that you believe in your head about this thing about this time long long ago but it has to have like relevance and resonance in our lives today and so for me rather than running away from queerness but like actually embracing queerness was where I encountered the divine yeah and now you co-founded queertheology.com with father Shay mm-hmm. and you make videos that do go viral and one of them that intrigued me (laughs) is you were in fire island and you made a video about finding god and experiencing god through embracing your sexuality and the history of queer gay cruising do you mind expounding on that a little bit yeah sure i was on fire island i had only been for the first time a few years ago and for those of you who don't know it's this sort of queer island beach oasis off outside of New York City, and it's you know been like a gay mecca for I don't know since the sixties maybe. Yeah, there's certainly like an air of like the elders there. Yeah, there's yeah, and so it, I was just aware of how many generations of queer people have like come to this place to mm-hmm. find refuge and sanctuary in a time before they could be out, and then in the dawn of gay liberation, and then in the aftermath of AIDS, so many people have been there. And I was noticing that there's no roads, it's all boardwalks. And there's this thing that happens every evening called tea where everyone comes to this the harbor and has like drinks and there's some music. And so everyone around like 5 p.m. leaves their various houses all around the island and like walks down these boardwalks. And it reminded me of like a walking meditation or mm-hmm. a pilgrimage mm-hmm. and that there's like something sacred there too about sort of like being aware of and like, paying respect to the folks that have come before 
us so that we might have the lives and the freedoms that we do today. And I think so often queer people are taught that our queerness is separate from our faith or that you have to reconcile it somehow. But for me, it was recognizing that our queerness is divine already. And it's not about excusing it or explaining it or reconciling it, but it's about like exploring it and embracing it. Mm-hmm. One of my friends is a bartender in Fire Island. He's agnostic, I believe, but he always says that the closest he's been to God is Fire Island because he yeah. feels there. It, it is a place where a lot of people who were dying of AIDS like went and passed and there were so many ceremonies there for them. He's like, you just can't help but feel like a peace and a happiness of queerness yeah. in that space. I think it's like and, a sacred sacred space. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it is like Holy one of our ground. sacred lands. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that can be true so I I grew up Christian and Christianity is sort of like the language that I speak. And when I think about spirituality or meaning, it's just sort of this like very helpful framework for me. But I don't by any means think that you have to be Christian or that queerness is only spiritual in a Christian sort of way. And that right. I think whether you're Christian or Jewish or Muslim or atheist or Buddhist or agnostic, that sort of recognizing the, whether you call it divine or sacred or beauty or truth or love inherent in queerness can be a powerful thing in a world that tells us that our queerness is sick and sinful and perverted. I've always felt that sexuality and spirituality are very entwined. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially, you know, you think about even when they talk about the the bonding of a man and a woman, you know, in order to go do ceremonial things to have children and like create like love and Mm -hmm. it includes sex in that, you know, and even tribal sort of things where there's sex involved with like, you know, it's always been a very close thing with each other. Just shunned by people and media and governments and churches. Yeah. I mean, I think if God or the divine is like something bigger than ourselves, sex is, you like lose yourself in another person and it's transcendent. And I think you get glimpses of like something bigger than just sort of like your own little insular life. Now, Brian, you make these videos as a resource for LGBTQ people of faith. And one of these videos <laughs> went Your viral. smile is so cheeky right now. I'm really like... <laughs> this video is, was titled, Jesus is Polyamorous. It was. And <laughs> <laughs> it's been viewed more than 100,000 times. And it was controversial, to say the least. To say the very least. <laughs> uh, some of the response from the video uh, said that this is a big steaming pile of heresy. You even received death threats over it. I did. Yeah, we deleted or muted most of the like most atrocious comments because we should bring back the Inquisition. You should be executed. GIFs of like Mike, Mike Pence electrocuting people, machine guns, Holocaust stuff, like really terrible. But in the midst of that, also some really amazing people feeling like they were able to see themselves represented for the first time ever. So that was cool. Right. Now, I understood what you were communicating in the video. And about one in five Americans, according to the Journal of Sex Research, participate in Mm non-monogamous relationships. So about 20% of the country, I think, fairly grasp what you're trying to communicate, but a lot of people still don't. So let's start with defining our terms. Sure. What is polyamorous? Yeah, talk to me like I'm in kindergarten. (laughs) Great. So polyamory is a type of non-monogamy. So there's like monogamy, you're only with one person in a sexual romantic relationship. So polyamory comes from its Greek and Latin roots, like meaning many loves. And so the idea is sort of contrasting to monogamy, you might be in sexual and or romantic relationships with multiple people simultaneously, uh, but you could also be polyamorous 
even if you're single or only in a relationship with one person, just sort of as your sort of philosophy around relationships and what you're open to or what, what sort of the parameters of your dating and or sex life are like. Does that does that cover it? <laughs> I think so. Kind of. I want to go back. So you're saying like uh, you could be poly, polyamorous and single? Yeah. So well, there's this concept called so, solo poly. So in our culture, everyone is very defined around relationships and the romantic relationships. And so someone who identifies as either single and poly or as solo poly might be like, might have multiple people that they're dating or they're dating casually or they're hooking up, but they're like, don't consider themselves part of a unit in the same way that if you have like a partner that you live with and share a car with or things like that. So they're sort of their own person that have varying degrees of sexual and or romantic relationships, but are like primarily responsible just for themselves. I, I have met people and know people that are in like a throuple mm-hmm. or like a three-way relationship. But then I've also heard and seen people who are in larger groups of people, which to me, to me it gets a little cloudy and confusing for me because I'm kind of like, they say it has like a family aspect to it, like which mm-hmm. I also understand, but for me it wouldn't work. You know, like, so I, for me it's like a, a questionable thing. That's a huge thing to deal with from societal norm. To probably, you probably get a lot of people asking you questions all the time. I do. I th- the biggest issue is that society is just legally and logistically structured around couples, and so it creates very sort of practical problems. Like, I can only get legally married to one person, and it like because we have crappy health insurance like if i need in order to access health insurance like someone has to get married to someone else and so then if you if i get married to one partner then i can't get married to anyone else and like what does that sort of mean or symbolize or who's protected who's not protected but i i mean i live in los angeles and i've been like aggressively queer for a while now and so most of my friends even like straight folks that are monogamous i get a lot of like oh that's really cool i'm not sure if i could do that for myself or tell me more what's the biggest question you get all the time Oh, just like, well, how does that work? (laughs) Yeah, do y'all share a room? Yeah, sometimes like logistics around if I, for a while I had two boyfriends and so then there was questions about like, well, who came first or who's the real one or how does that work or what's your plans? Are you going to get married? Uh, are questions that come up. It feels up like lot. when people ask gay people, who's the man? Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah, uh like sort of like trying to like suss out Who's People want to know so mm-hmm. much about everybody else's shit. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, just deal with your own life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also get a lot of, I've seen this progression happen a lot where uh, someone will say, oh, I don't know. I could never do that to then like a few months later. So like, tell me more. How does, how exactly does that work? <laughs> to then like, now it's like a year or two later and they're like, so I'm going to be in an open relationship now or I'm going to be polyamorous now. I mean, I've heard of it. I heard of a pool boy, but I don't know about like, <laughs> it's hard enough to deal with one partner. Like, I don't know. I mean, well, maybe if I had somebody on my side all the time. Yeah, I actually find that in many ways an open relationship or polyamory can be sometimes in some ways easier because there's so much pressure put on your romantic partner to be your sex partner, your co-parent, your source of health insurance, mm-hmm. your best friend, your therapist, your housekeeper. That you just like want you require so much from this one person. See, so that's where I'm like, okay, this okay, this that's where I'm like, I have a housekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a therapist if I need one. I have a best friend. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, like, you're a very I, I don't I don't I got my own damn health insurance. Take care of my babies. <laughs> yeah. Pay my life bill. Yep. You know, like so for me, I I'm a I'm the type of person, I mean, I 
um, when I like, I don't think that open relationships work for me because, like, I, I want to be like a mighty oak and then have like another mighty oak and then like our branches kind of like can like touch, you know? Aww. And then like in between the branches, like at the bottom, I feel like that's where you put your children and your fortune and your family and all the things that light can go through branches. But when you're like a mighty oak and then you have like a sapling, like you either have to like pull your branches back to let the other person get light. Or grow in spite of them, which is normally what I do, and then shadow the other person and, like, you know, make them. So for me, like, if I had a whole forest, like, I couldn't deal with that. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I, like, I don't know if I could, like, deal with that. I love walking through forests. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Nature like, wise. No doubt. <laughs> I'll take this. I'll take this. Yeah, I, I also think that for me, another sort of toxic relationship idea is this idea of, like, you need someone to complete you, your, your other half. And so, like, I like this idea of we're like we're two mighty oaks or and right. you know, three or more <laughs> I do oaks. date multiple people when I'm single though like when I'm looking for somebody and I want to work like I created a dating method it's in paper magazine you guys should all look it up it's called the five guy guide like where you should Love date it. five people at one time and the, to break up those things that you mm-hmm. like you know um, anyway that's a whole other conversation but you should definitely uh, google the five guy guide on paper magazine but I definitely think that it makes sense not to put all of the things that you want in one person into someone you just met and have them break up into other people. But now in your viral video, you say Jesus is polyamorous. Yeah. How did that, yeah. that go? Yeah. So I think so, something that happened is the people thinking that I'm making a historical claim about the like sex practices of Jesus right. 2000 years sure. ago. But in the video I was specifically responding to. So there's in the Bible, there's a book called Ephesians. It's a letter. And the author of it is, talking about Christ's relationship to the church and using a marriage metaphor to say that Christ is married to the church and the church is the whole body of believers. But no one is claiming that the Bible is saying Jesus is literally married to the church or all believers. It's clearly a metaphor. And so I'm exploring and playing with and complicating that metaphor and saying, let's tease this metaphor out a little bit and look at Christ being married to the church and who is the church and what is the church and what does that mean for Christ to be in a relationship with the church or in relationships with us. So I don't, I'm always confused when people are like, Jesus was celibate or Jesus well, Don't they married. say that nuns are married to Christ? Yeah, that's a very Catholic idea, right? Sure. It's right. a lot of so, wives, Jesus. And, a lot of wives, and, yeah. And, 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 and marriage marriage inc- usually includes sex but somehow it's like only this like weird sex thing when it's like queer people talking about polyamory and not when it's Is like straight in the Bible? well it depends on how you define polyamory there are definitely non-monogamous people in the bible it's almost exclusively men who have multiple wives or wives and lovers or wives and slaves. And that would be a polygamous relationship. Is that correct? By definition? Yeah. Okay. Because it's, that's more... It's one gender. Yeah. Right. And more marriage-based, whereas okay. polyamory doesn't need to include marriage. And like, like you're saying, a lot of people just jump to the conclusion that polyamorous relationships, especially in your video, automatically means sex and some sort of sexual encounter. But can polyamorous also mean non-sexual? Absolutely. So you can have multiple relationships, all of which are sexual or none of which are sexual. I think you know, I know a lot of people who are asexual and are polyamorous and will have a partner, multiple partners that are, it's like just a romantic relationship, but not sexual attraction. And so they're like, well, my my boyfriend who I don't want to have sex with can then go have sex with his other boyfriend mm-hmm. or his girlfriend or, you know, whoever it, it might be. So that doesn't necessarily need to include 
sex. But obviously, sex is a big part of that. And back to our conversation earlier, that there is something about that happens in sex that keys us into something transcendent and something bigger than ourselves. And so God is a part of that also, but not in a way that is like we're having sex with God. Obviously, God is not this person out there that we're having metaphysical sex with. But People are calling out his name, though, all the time. When they Amen. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, it's kind of weird to me. Because I always wonder, like, if he'll just appear. Like Beetlejuice three times. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Oh, God, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, not now. <laughs> Do you have a specific experience that you've had where you've experienced that transcendence or the divine in your relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think I experience it often, right? And so there's something really magical that happens. I've been with my boyfriend, Peter, for 11 years now. And I'm like the big oak and he's a big oak. But mm-hmm. but also we've like created this other thing that's like is the two of us, but it's also bigger than ourselves. And I sometimes feel like I can almost like touch it. It's It just like feels so present. And um, whether having like a date night with him or, or having sex with him feels like just really special and transcendent. And then also there's something cool and hot about going to a bathhouse and meeting a stranger and, you know, like Christian hospitality is a big thing and like welcoming mm-hmm. the stranger mm-hmm. that I think that seeing someone and saying like, this is this thing that we want to do and we are into each other, we're vibing, we're feeling each other and we're going to take care of each other's needs and like be really present and you have to be super vulnerable to be naked with someone that there can also be something sacred in a bathhouse or a one night stand or a hookup or kinky sex too that it's not only romantic love that's sacred but something really special can happen in a more cruising context too and so i appreciate that i do value the lust and connection and queer hookup culture yeah. i do think that there is value there definitely and i do think that we're not naturally inclined to monogamy I'll agree to that and that it is an endurance race and that it's like (laughs) near impossible. But I do think that there is a, for me personally, there's a lot of benefits in being monogamous. Like I am like, I lock it up. Like Mm -hmm. when I'm with somebody like my last relationship, which was five years, I changed my phone number, stopped following all the Insta thoughts, just like shut it all down. Like I like to be the kind of guy you can go in my phone and go in my DMS and like look and look and look and you won't find shit. Like I'm like, sorry, like, you know, but there's a, there is a value in that and a lot of trust and a lot of like opening up to another person and asking them to be the same, which is like a huge endeavor as hard as it is. For me to do, I could know how hard it is for a partner to do. But I think there is, like, a reward to that. There's, like, a reward to, like, like being that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's different ways that you can show and experience commitment. And so the whole goal of life and relationships is to find someone that works well with you. and. <laughs> That works well with you and compliments you. And so, like, if you and your boyfriend are experiencing, like, profound fulfillment in the way that you're showing commitment to each other and being committed to each other, like, that's that's awesome. Like, great, do more of that. Um, and I think for me and my boyfriend, we can also find that sort of, like, really deep, fulfilling excitement of being committed like in a different way and like a few weeks ago I like dropped him off on a date and that like there was like something what like lovely Get and exciting here, about that. I can't. <laughs> I can't with you right now you dropped your boyfriend on a date yeah we were hanging out with some friends and we were driving and so rather than have him uber I was like well I can I'm already we're already in the car I'll just drop you off 
weird. I mean, I, I, I kinda... no judgments. Like, but I'm like, for me, I can't even imagine myself in that space. Because and I just got of... to go home and like read a book and have some tea, and it was lovely. Yeah, have your own moment. It's fine. Yeah, I, I do feel I don't necessarily have like too much of the jealousy. I know what it's like to date someone and be in an open space. I've had those experience. I decided it wasn't for me, but I do feel like. I don't know, like you dropped off in a I, day that's so progressive. I, <laughs> part of me, the 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 monogamy of it all is what is is sort of a from my personal spirituality, like a like a clause in this contract of being a queer Christian. That it's like if I can live like a life with a partner yeah. and be monogamous, that I'm holding up my end of the bargain to still allowed to be gay. I totally relate to that. I felt like when I came out, I needed to. I needed to stay being an evangelical Christian to mm-hmm. prove that you could be not only Christian, but right. like just the, the correct way in my mind type of Christian. And right. I could be monogamous and get legally married and we would have kids. And I remember being like, well, I learned growing up that you should only date someone for no more than a year and then you get engaged. So even like, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to like follow the same cultural script that I always had. And at some point it's like, you can never be good enough to convince the haters that queerness is good. And in fact, we're following the rules of like this rigged game that someone else wrote that doesn't even necessarily lead to fulfillment for us. Now, if you want to get, if you want to get married after a year and be monogamous and that works for you, like more power to you, but that's not the only way that you can be a good queer person. I agree with that too, but also there is a part of me that gets like a little disappointed when I see a really hot couple and they're like, oh, we're open. And I'm like, man, I just need more representation of people like, because, you know, you have like Pete Buttigieg, you you know, and Chastin, they they look so happy and they're so cute, but they don't look like they're having hot sex to me. (laughs) I'm not like, man, I need like to get that Pete Buttigieg sex. Like, I don't, it's like not happening. But then you hear like Ricky Martin and his husband and you're like, now we're talking and they're like, well, we opened it up. And I'm like, what? You know, like, I just, I, I think that it could be hot and I don't know. Well, I think life is about curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. And and just allowing yourself, giving yourself that freedom to explore and the permission. Um, and in the confines of relationship, having those boundaries established so that way it's it's a healthy way of doing it. And so as you said that you were dropping off uh, your boyfriend for a date, in my head, I was imagining like, if that was me seeing someone that you love going off and exploring their curiosity and and learning and growing in their yeah. own way and how it, how 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 cool yes, I, yeah yes. I feel like i've no. never experienced more and come home and tell yeah. me all about it yes. yeah <laughs> that i just like i'm part so part of me agrees part of me that sounds hot i just don't know if i could do it like i could it takes I, some practice. I could get a blowjob and it not have anything to do with how i feel about the person i'm dating i know i can do that like and i know that that's what you're talking about like i could have this experience I'm the type of person too. I'm not like trying to sleep with someone that doesn't want to sleep with me. I love to make love for the night. Like I'm all about like I could like go meet somebody in a random state and have like this beautiful experience and then move on, right? And just keep it as what that was. But I don't want my partner to like if I <laughs> <laughs> like if I had the hmm. kind of open relationship where like they were just for me and then I can go do whatever I want, which is so not fair. Yeah, but I hear that a lot. Though. I could see that working, you know. Which makes me get interested in the whole master slave, the, the master, <laughs> you know, Dom Ooh, tell me sub more. <laughs> kind of situation. Because I could be like, you stay home, you do nothing. Like, you know, I'm going to put you in your pet in your kennel <laughs> and then like go out to the dog park, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and sniff some butts. Yeah. 
<laughs> Brian, thank you so much for being with us. We have a few things before we leave that we'd like to do with you. Like, so we'd like to ask our guests to please bring in your favorite scripture. And have you prepared one for us? I have. I, I like so many, but this is one that is sort of speaking to me today and uh, that I'm sharing with folks. So it is Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are vicious wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do people get bunches of grapes from thorny weeds or do they get figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit and every rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know, therefore you will know them by their fruit. I love that. Immediately what I think about, besides obviously spiritual leaders that are, um, you know, falsifying who they are and how close mm-hmm. they are to God, um, is politicians all the mm-hmm. time. I go to Washington and uh, lobby Congress for HIV and AIDS. And while I was there, um, there were people talking just about how we need more sex workers and we need more people who have dark pasts and dick pics and all of that stuff yeah. <laughs> to not be afraid to run for office. Mm-hmm. These people have been doing it and just pretending that they're yep. chased and pretending that they live a clean mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> you know, all of them. It's more representative of the people that we have in our country that need to get out there. So don't let a dick pic stop you. Don't let a mullet stop you. Don't let your use of cocaine stop you. Whatever's in your past, it doesn't matter. You, we still need to have your voice out there, both spiritually and politically. Yeah, and I'm gl- I'm so glad that's the scripture you shared, because I've had one in mind just just to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And mine was Galatians 5.22. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, meekness. And against this, there is no law. And th- if that is the fruit that you are bearing, then mm-hmm. you are bearing the fruit of Christ. Yeah. We're good fruits. Fruits are good fruits. We yeah, are fruity. Fruit salad. Fruit salad. <laughs> One of the reasons that we started this podcast was I was looking on the internet for a prayer for LGBTQ people and was having a hard time finding one. Yeah, so this is a prayer that my QueerTheology.com co-founder and I wrote together for LGBTQ folks that are oftentimes find ourselves on a journey. So it's a prayer for wanderers. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And as they say in Matthew eighteen twenty, for where two or three gather in my name, therefore I am with them. So for all of you queer people out there that are listening to this podcast and all of you allies and curious people, um, we are inviting the Holy Spirit into this room Come for on, this Holy prayer. Spirit. Amen. God of the seekers and the dreamers, the disaffected and the disillusioned, the worn out and the burnt out, the rejected and leavers. We ask for blessings as we travel, as we doubt, as we meander. We ask for the grace to leave when necessary, to come home when we can, to create new homes when we need to. We ask for protection of our souls from those who don't understand, who judge, who mock. We ask for fortitude to undertake the journey even when it's scary, or maybe especially when it's scary. We know that as we wander, we are not alone, and as Tolkien says, that not all who wander are lost. We know that sometimes we have to leave the confines of what we knew to see the truth, to hear your voice, to find out what to do next. We pray you lead us where we need to go by whatever route it takes. We pray for new ways to see you, to understand new ways of being in the world. We pray for healing and for redemption and where possible reconciliation. We pray for all this so that we can know wholeness, know our bodies, know each other, know you, and be found. Amen. What really stuck with me in that was when you said to leave when we have to. Sometimes Mm. we have to step away. 
Sometimes the rhetoric, sometimes the whole vibe is wrong for us. And as queer people, we need to always be aware of what, when our spaces are safe. And that's a very biblical thing. Like Jesus in the gospels talks about if the people won't hear your message, you've got to shake the dust off your sandals and, and leave. And so sometimes queer folks have to do that too. Amen. Wow. This, that was great. You did it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. And and tell us, Brian, tell us uh, where everyone could find you online. Sure. So we are queertheology.com at qtheology or facebook.com slash qtheology. And coming up very soon, we're going to be leading a online group program around how to find out your own sexual ethic and integrate your sexuality and your spirituality. So there'll be more of that coming soon. And we put together a free workbook on how you can look at your values and your faith and put together a sexual ethic that makes sense for you here and now, not what your youth pastor told you a long time ago. So you can get that at queertheology.com slash sex ethics. I'm going to go get mine right now. <laughs> and how about personally on um, social media? I am at this is BGM on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That was wonderful. If you have a prayer request or a praise report or think you'd be a good guest or know a good guest, please email us at pray at yasjesuspod.com. Or you can follow us at yasjesuspod at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless. Bye. Bye.